It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Rams Nation, what's happening? What's good? It's your boy Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Locked On Rams. It's the Wednesday edition of Locked On Rams, and we are still moving along here this week. we got some great stuff coming up. We're going to finish our two-part series we had going with our L.A. crossover edition with the boys over at Locked On Chargers. Had a great time talking with them, but it went for almost an hour and a half, so I've cut it into two segments. You'll get the second half of that segment today. And we got JB Long coming up tomorrow, so that's another exciting episode. Got a couple other interviews in the making right now. We'll always have our boy James Kroger on over from Rams Podcast, so we'll get him on here soon uh, to talk some of the stuff that's been going on in the offseason and, and you know, basically kill some time until we get to the season, man. Countdown is on. I think we're now into the mid to high 70s on the countdown until... Uh, The season starts, which is super exciting. Every day we are closer to football. And you know we all love hearing that. Real quick, before I jumped into the interview, I want to get to an email I got the other day. I said I would get to it, and here we are. Uh, This was from Kyle Trimmer. Reached out to us. Appreciate it, Kyle. Guys, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, reach out to me. At LA underscore Rambling Bear on Twitter. Lockdown Rams is the show handle. You can find it on Twitter and Instagram. Go check out the recent post. Uh, about Todd Gurley and Aaron Donald being in the top 10 of the top NFL 100. want to know where you guys think he's going to land. And then as well, you can reach out to me on Gmail, LockdownRams at gmail.com. This is where Kyle hit me up. Kyle, again, thanks for reaching out. And here's what Kyle had to say. I always see people talking about Donald's contract just saying, just pay the man, me included. That's me talking. Which I understand and agree we should get him paid, but at the same time, how much is too much Are you willing to pay that man to keep him? So my question is, one, how much would you pay him? And two, would it be worth keeping one guy, a.k.a. Aaron Donald, who is one of the best, and have a chance of not being able to get other guys due to salary cap restrictions? Okay, good stuff. I get it, Kyle. Uh, You know, I am in the camp of hashtag pay the man. Uh, I've said it thousands of times on this show. He's going to demand a ridiculous amount of money. You have to remember his agent is Todd Francis, who negotiated Marcellus Darius' 2015 extension with the Bills, which at the time made him the NFL's second highest paid NFL interior defense alignment behind Dominican Sue at the time, which was at $15.8 million at that time. Darius's six-year extension at the time was worth $100.3 million, thanks to those salary escalators based on all pro honors. Darius' $60 million overall guarantee was a record for non-quarterbacks at his time. So for Aaron Donald's agent, this isn't, you know, new waters for him. He's used to kind of breaking that. Another guy he did that for as well was Fletcher Cox from the Eagles. He extended him a six-year, $102 million extension with $63 million guaranteed. Ugh, trying to get that paper. So yes, I do believe Aaron Donald is going to get paid stupid amount of money here coming up. And I think he deserves every penny. As far as the second part of your question as, you know, would I rather keep a guy like Aaron Donald and have to say goodbye to a couple other players? Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I think I would have to probably 
take that stand there. There's people on our team, obviously, that you you know we've got 110 plus million dollars uh, next year, and we've we got the likes of Todd Gurley, um, Peters, who we just picked up, will need to get paid. Obviously, we franchise tag Joiner, another guy that needs to get some money. Goff in the near future. And then some other staples of the offense. Jamon Brown's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Brandon Cooks, who we just got. Dominic Easley, Rob Havenstein, Matt Longacre, Roger Saffold. I mean, the list goes on and on. Obviously, Dominic Sue is a one-year deal. Ethan Westbrook, Malcolm Brown, Morgan Fox, obviously going through that injury. Corey Littleton, who may have a big role on this team coming forward. So there is a lot of people that need to get money next year. So it is tough for me to sit here and say, yeah, I'd pick Aaron Donald over some of those people. But it's the truth. Aaron Donald is possibly the best defensive player in the league. Definitely put him up there in the top three. He is a game changer. And then when you put him next to some of these guys that we have on our team, um, I think he's a must-have. And it goes back to one of those things where I always think about uh, whether you played pickup ball or whether you played Madden and you're drafting teams there or even fantasy football, I'd rather have them and pay the extra value for them than seeing another team have them and doing well. I know that's maybe not the best business sense of it, uh, but that's my thing. I want the guy that is unbelievable. So I will pay that extra and we'll find the people. You know, We just mentioned Corey Littleton's one of those guys that's coming up. Uh, in free agency next year, but we'll find those guys as we got rid of Ogletree and Tremaine Johnson. Those guys are gonna come up. You know, we gotta trust the process, which is very cliche. But the front office that we have, they know what they're doing. They've picked great talent in the last few drafts. You know, they've hit on a lot of deep round guys. So I expect that they're gonna continue to do that. So long story short, yes, I hashtag pay the man, even if it comes to a point where we're paying him a little bit more than. You know, we probably should, but just know that it's going to be sitting around that 20 million a year contract. He's going to be breaking the non quarterback uh, numbers and they're going to approach some of those quarterback numbers as well as far as guaranteed money. So my hope is that we sign him before Khalil Mack, though, because obviously another guy that's out there. I'd rather us set the market than someone else set the market. And all of a sudden we're either chasing Khalil Mack or trying to catch up to him, or it becomes one of these things where he's saying, well, that's his number, that's where you could have got me, but I told you, I want to be, at the time, the number one uh, defensive paid player, so now you got to go over that. So it's a, it's a risk and a gamble that they're playing with right now, but right now, for me, hashtag pay the man. Whatever it's got to be, uh, we just got to get it done and get him back in camp. So those are my two cents on that, I'll probably stay pretty consistent with that but kyle trimmer thanks for reaching out thanks for shooting a question over our way guys continue to reach out i'll i'll read your question on air i'll answer it i'll do my best to answer it whether you like it or not but as we start running here a little bit long i want to get to the interview because we still got about 30 minutes left of that so it's going to be another nice long fun episode so without any other chit chat and random conversation because you know i like to blabble here's the second half of our locked on crossover LA edition with the boys from the Lockdown Chargers, David, Daniel, and John. And where I'm going to kick in, we kind of left off of talking about our offseason. I kind of went on a rant talking about how awesome our offseason was. And we're going to kick over to them kind of finding some hope in what the Chargers did this offseason, some things to get excited about, and we continue from there. Hope you guys enjoy. Again, continue to reach out, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow. 
The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a postmortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis LeVert jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trailblazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked On Fantasy Football with your Locked On Fantasy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fantasy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry. You can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider. Well, and I think here, uh, you know, on the Chargers side, we have a lot to be excited about ourselves. I mean, there's a lot going on on the defensive side of the ball with two premier pass rushers, uh, several corners uh, that can lock down any receiver. The addition of Derwin James in the first round replacing, you know, Eric Weddle. You know, we've been looking for a replacement since he had departed and went to Baltimore. And uh, on the offensive side of the ball, there's a lot of weapons. You got your speed guy in Travis Benjamin. You got your your speed guy and height guy and Tyrell Williams. You got your do it, do it all. Mr. Everything and Keenan Allen. And, you know, you got a, a you know, a sixth round pick and Dylan Cantrell. And of course the first round pick from last year, Mike Williams. And, you know, we touched on uh, Mike Williams a little bit before, but getting into Mike Williams now, I mean, we expect a lot more coming into his second season as a pro. His first one was uh, marred by injuries uh, he had the back injury he, that he never really recovered from, only came back to uh, get a handful of catches. Uh, and he honestly just didn't look too ready for this level of football. In training camp, uh, they're saying that he has dedicated himself on increasing his route tree, getting into playbook. He wants to be that you know big guy, contest catch kind of uh, wide receiver, which is exactly what the Chargers envisioned uh, when they selected him seventh overall in the 26th. 20, excuse me, 2017 NFL draft. So a lot of expectations on here. I think uh, the Chargers are getting a lot of national press and, and a lot of buzz. But um, I think, uh, you know, Anthony Lynn said it best uh, that they haven't done anything yet. And uh, just like you said, they have to go uh, prove it on Sunday and actually get wins. Uh, and I think, like you said before, wins are going to help in this market. Winning seems to cure everything. Real quick, for while we're talking Mike Williams and coming back, you talked about kind of a disappointment year. What do you look at for him, uh, John, as far as a successful year two? Is it, you know, if he comes out and gets 
60 catches? Is that too high even to ask for? Or what, what would what would you consider a uh, you know, solid year for Mike Williams? Personally, it would be just play a role and play all 16 games. So if, if 20 catches is all you could do, but they were like meaningful catches, like converting on third downs when we needed it to win games. So if you only had two catches the whole game, but we're on the final drive and you catch that one big third down jump ball pass that we needed, I feel like you're being successful rather than playing only five to eight snaps a game because you have a back injury that you were hiding during the draft. And if he catches a thousand yards, which I don't think is going to happen, but if he was to, that would be, I would say above everyone's expectations. But as long as he plays his role and plays every game and the snaps he's supposed to play, not a limited snap, just the snaps he's supposed to play. I think that's already an improvement in my opinion. And then real quick for you, uh, Daniel, um, you know, we talked and touched on the tight end situation. Obviously you guys uh, cut Antonio Gates, but wished him a happy birthday today. So, you know, there's, there's that, you got that going. Uh, and then Hunter Henry, obviously, um, you know, everyone was kind of devastated to hear that injury. No one likes seeing someone go out like that. Uh, what do you do there in the tight end uh, situation to kind of fill that role? Is it going to be kind of a, um, you know, a wide receiver by committee to fill that that role in the tight end or do you guys have some um kind of plan in place for the tight end position yeah the tight end position guys it's gonna be really hard i think probably one of the undrafted free agents is gonna have to make the roster unless they can add somebody else maybe that's antonio gates who knows that's a whole nother discussion for another podcast that could probably fill the whole thing because another charter's you know, botching a a farewell just like they did with countless others before them. But I think it's it's hard to feel good about it when you have a guy like Virgil Green, who is obviously a run blocking tight end. He averaged less than one catch per game last season. Um, obviously, with terrible quarterback play in Denver, they didn't have anybody really to get him the ball. We all saw how bad Trevor Simeon was and. Paxton Lynch and whoever else you want to throw in there. I mean, it was really bad. But I, I think it's an exciting opportunity to maybe, you know, find another diamond in the rough. If the Chargers are known for one thing, it's, you know, every single season somebody makes it as an undrafted free agent. You know, whether it's Jaleel Adai or Antonio Gates or Malcolm Floyd, they always seem to be able to find a, a diamond in the rough. I mean, even going back to last season, the Chargers didn't have a pass-catching running back or a kind of scat back, a, a smaller, quicker type of a player. And then they filled that need with a guy from Western Colorado named Austin Eckler. So I, I think that part of it, it can be exciting, but it's also very worrisome because you don't have a lot of guys right now that can really get after it in the intermediate routes, in the shorter routes. You have Melvin Gordon, who obviously catches a lot of balls out of the backfield, and has talked about, you know, training with LT to, to step up that part of his game. And you have Keenan Allen, who's obviously maybe the best route runner in the league. I know some people think that. So, uh, but besides that, Tyrell Williams, if, if he's not running a drag, that's not his game. Travis Benjamin, that's not his game. I mean, even some of the guys they brought in, Dylan Cantrell, Mike Williams, these, these aren't guys you're sending, you know, for seven yard routes a lot of times. And, that you know can get open for sure or that, a guy that you can just throw it in their general vicinity and they'll make the catch. I mean, people forget that Hunter Henry 
didn't drop a pass his senior year of college. So, I mean, he just brings something that you can't really expect to reproduce with an undrafted free agent or even in, you know, trying to find a guy in free agency. Even Antonio Gates, we see in him dropping off. So, you know, he's not going to be able to replace that. I think it's going to be, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but it's going to have to be by committee. I know some people have talked about Dylan Cantrell maybe getting some snaps at tight end, but he's never done that before. And, I mean, you tell me, Bear. You guys, I, I can't think of the last notable tight end that you guys had. What is your guys' tight end strategy and how have they been able to make it work without really notable tight ends? Yeah, Sean McVay coming from his system was really big in the, in the tight end game. Um, we had drafted Tyler Higby a year before he got here and then spent actually um, Sean McVay's first draft pick on uh, Everett. So we've gotten depth there. We also have Hemingway, who's coming off of an injury. We're not really sure what he really is at this point. Um, so there's kind of a three-man race and almost a tight end by committee, you could say, here in L.A. I think that's one of the um, positions that we're looking to alongside with the middle linebacker position and outside linebacker position as far as camp battles. You know, one of the few positions we have where people can really make moves uh, Higby saw most of our play last year with Everett struggling, trying to figure out blocking a little bit, but all signs coming into camp this year that he's really improved on his blocking and uh, the route tree and things like that. So I think he's going to give a big push. And then Hemingway, we just really don't know. He's six foot four, about 260 pounds. He's been known as being a pretty decent run blocker in college, but also had great speed and great hands. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what McVay does, because I think in year one, everyone thought he was going to utilize the tight end position a lot more as, you know, we saw um, what he did in the past in, in Washington, but it wasn't really the case. We had so many weapons on the outside and really we just gave the Todd, Gur- Todd Gurley the ball in any form or fashion, whether it was handing it to him or just a quick little dump down. So um, he kind of became that tight end uh, release as far as that short pass. So that's going to be an interesting position for us as well coming into the season to see who really takes that next step or if everyone's going to share the role or how that's really going to go. But we spent a couple high draft picks in the last couple of years on Everett and Higby. So one of those guys has got to perform. Yeah. And then when you talk about Todd Gurley, what did you see from him last season that maybe we didn't see the year before that? How did Sean McVay's scheming really seem to bring out the Pro Bowl-level talent that everyone thought he could be coming out of college, and I won't accept Jeff Fisher as an answer. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Well, he saw holes, um, and that has to do heavily with, uh, you know, picking up Andrew Whitworth and really creating that left side of the line to really move things. Uh, You saw a huge uh, upgrade as far as Roger Saffold, as far as production goes. He had, you know, some could argue a Pro Bowl year. Um, out there as well. And then we, you know, we add Sullivan to our center. So we added two key pieces to our line. We shifted a couple people around. Uh, Jamon Brown had a breakout year for us. Uh, I think he was on the cusp coming in as far as, you know, where we're going to have to look somewhere else. He was a third round pick a few years ago. Uh, Hadn't really found, uh, you know, into the system until this year. And they had consistency on that front line. Uh, They were one of the only teams in the NFL for every starter to start every game. Um, there were no no major injuries. I think um, uh, Sullivan uh, was banged up a little bit, but fought through it. 
And um, also for Todd Gurley, once he started to see those holes, he got back to the old Todd Gurley. He looked defeated last year. He, he looked where he ran into you know his linemen and just kind of, yeah, I don't want to say gave up, but just didn't have that extra little burst, that want, that desire. Uh, he was only getting the ball about 15 times a game for some reason, and this was blowing my mind as it was happening. They were letting Case Keenum, I think he had three games in a row of 40 attempts. And it's not like we were down a bunch at this time. It was really just going out there and throwing the crap out of the ball with Case Keenum, who now has kind of you know, found new life you know, in Minnesota and then obviously now is in your guys' division. Uh, but it, it was one of those things where I think we needed to, you needed to feed Gurley more, whether it was um, you know, on the ground or through the air. We didn't use him much at all uh, through the air with uh, Fisher, but uh, it was kind of a new scheme, and we started to get him some lanes. We started to let him do what he does best, which is running an open field and leaping over people when they tried to come at him. And then allowing him to show up the skill with, with you know, catching the ball out of the backfield. So we really saw his carries go up. And obviously with that, you saw touchdowns and yards and, and kind of you couldn't really game plan how you want to stop for him. You try to stack the box and somehow we'd slip him out the backfield and, you know, we'd let him run up the sideline and jump over people. So it was, it was a combination of the offensive line, scheme, and then you could just tell the pep and the step, man. Um, he looked defeated that last year with um, – you know Jeff Fisher and, and just coming into the season he looks the most comfortable I've seen him in the NFL uh, dealing with the media here in LA he's really seemed to kind of take on that role as the superstar of the team uh, but at the same time not let it get to his head so um, hopefully he can keep those things up and you know it's one of those things as you look in in LA and you're talking running back position and you got yourself a pretty good running back yourself and you know kind of talk about Gordon's transition and how he's gonna you know be needed this year you talked about how you guys had added that kind of scat back that that secondary back um, which is always crucial to the offense but what can we expect from him this year uh, David? Uh, I think you can expect big things out of Melvin Gordon last year he was able to Put together 16 games. Uh, it was over a thousand yards rushing. Did very, very well as a receiver. Uh, scored several times out of the backfield. You know, he really was that catalyst for the Chargers' offense. Getting the ball in his hands normally meant good things were going to happen. Although it wasn't all sunshine and daisies. He has things he needs to work on, namely being a little bit more difficult to uh, bring down. Seems like uh, gets ankle tackled and, and get, hits the ground pretty pretty easily. And also, I think his vision uh, needs to improve. He missed a lot of holes last year. Uh, you know, the Chargers run run blocking wasn't the best, but I think it was solid. Uh, but I, I think there's just more to improve on. I feel like the addition of uh, Mike Pouncey uh, at the center position is going to help uh, anchor the middle of that, that line, not only protecting Phillip Rivers, but uh, opening up holes in the middle uh, alongside uh, Dan Feeney. And uh, hopefully Forrest Lamp comes back and provides a uh, – that nastiness that we all thought we were going to get last year when he went down with an ACL tear. So I think there's a lot of big things that you can uh, expect out of Melvin Gordon. As long as he stays healthy, he is that workhorse bell cow back. I think that brings up an interesting parallel because obviously Todd Gurley was the first running back taken in the 2015 draft. And I just want to know, who do you think has won that so far? I know people are very critical of running backs being taken in the first round. I mean, maybe not anymore. Look at Saquon Barkley. But what do, what do you think of, of that kind of ingrained competition that's built between those two guys just being the top two running backs of the same draft class? Um, if I had to pick who gets the win in their first three years, I would have to give it to Todd Gurley. Um 
just just for touchdowns, we'll just talk about touchdowns to start off. Melvin Gordon didn't score once in his rookie year. He he had one touchdown that he had, but it got called back because the back of his hand touched the ground after rolling over a lion and then scampering 28 yards to the end zone. But other than that, he had no touchdowns, only 641 yards his rookie year. Todd Gurley, his rookie year, had 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. Gurley has two 1,000-yard seasons with two double-digit touchdown years. Melvin Gordon has one double-digit touchdown year and one 1,000-yard year, even though his second year he should have had 1,000 yards, but he didn't get those last three yards he needed, which I'm, which I'm guessing had to do with contract stuff some bonuses if you get the thousand yards he gets more money I, I think that's what it had to be with but also he was injured and they didn't want to rush him back just to get a thousand yards as well but yeah i'm sorry go ahead bud oh but i feel they both have that thing where like last mentioned earlier Gurley last year wasn't fully 100 percent into the run Melvin gordon isn't fully 100 percent into the run most of the time he gets his yards, then he falls down easily, as mentioned, or he doesn't read his block. There's been times where I've seen a hole wide open and he literally just runs straight into the side of an offensive lineman and he's getting tackled for a loss. And it's like, dude, the hole is like just two inches to the side. You just had to go two inches to the side and you're off to the races with all that speed that you have. He is a big running back and he, he goes down so easily. Todd Gurley is a fast guy and goes down easily. Like he doesn't even try to outrun you and gets that sideline out of bounds like LT would do sometimes when he was getting chased, would just head towards that sideline and get out of bounds before someone could touch him, which can prevent injuries, which is both a Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley type of situation. Bear, I won't even ask you, I mean, who you thought won that so far. I mean, I think it's it's pretty obvious to anybody just looking um, at the numbers or even the eyeball test. Todd Gurley just has that it factor to him and his runs, I mean, hurdling people. You know, just making people look silly in open space. But do you think that he's lived up to his first round billing so far as a member of the Rams? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, obviously year two took that dip and he really struggled. And I think he ended up getting 700 something yards or, you know, something, you know, not anything crazy, which is awesome because I actually did a podcast with um, it's the Seahawkers podcast up in Seattle. And we did a bet of who was going to have the most rushing yards in that year and it's funny because I can't even think of the Seahawk running back at the time that ended up hurting his leg and never really did anything and now is off the team so I won the bet almost purely on injury and just getting up to 600 yards Thomas Rawls that's right yes so I think Thomas Rawls ended up the last couple games he scared me put up some big numbers and ended up being got within like 200 yards but um, so even in his down year, Todd Gurley did something for me personally. So I always will thank him for that. But, um, yeah, I think with, you know, last year's case and, um, you know, his breakout year and his rookie year, he's really lived up to that billing. And I think, you know, obviously you, you talked about, you know, uh, Gordon's year and, and his up and down as far as what he's done and hasn't hit, you know, that first year didn't really break through, but I think he, you know, they broke that that cliche of you can't draft a running back in the first round. I think both of them I can still look to and say, yeah, I can, I can agree you taking that, that running back there in the first round uh, with production, looking at their future, looking at how they fit the team's needs at the time. Uh, so yeah, Todd Gurley, I think above and beyond his expectation and, and really has come in. And like I said, taken over this superstar role of the team and uh, is really looking to become one of those, you know, top, 
tier top three elite running backs for a long, long time to come. So as long as he can stay healthy, I mean, he's got all of the, those assets, you know, the speed, the power, the hands out of the backfield, uh, obviously jumping over people left and right, and then you can run through you. So uh, a lot of great things for him. And I think if the Rams could, you know, do it all over again, they'd make the exact same pick, even if they were five picks sooner. I think we got him at like 12 or something like that. So, I mean, I think even if 10. So, I mean, I think if we're, you know, pick number three, I think they still would have loved to have picked up Todd Gurley there. So, uh, no complaints out here in Rams Nation for Todd Gurley and his production and what he's done. I know there were a lot of critics uh, last year or the year before, sorry, when he was with Jeff Fisher and, and really struggled. But uh, like I said, he's got this new bounce to him. So we're really excited about where it can go. Uh, so, hey, hey, Barry, I'm just uh, curious. You know, uh, the Chargers and Rams are actually going to uh, meet at the Coliseum this year and go head-to-head in a regular season matchup. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, from your side of the ball, uh, what scares you from the Chargers' point of view, uh, you know, uh, when you guys have to go up there and face uh, uh, the Chargers in your house? I know there's two teams that have a lot of uh, expectations behind both of them, and uh, I just want to kind of get your perspective from your side uh, of the spectrum. No, that's a great question, David. Um, and we did a, I did a podcast uh, when they released the schedule and my co-host asked me what was the number one game I had circled and couldn't wait for. And that was the game, was the Chargers game, because I think it's awesome. I think it's a bunch of fun. Uh, the fight for L.A., we mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, Rams have pretty much, you know, dominated that so far just by getting here the year earlier uh, and having, you know, a better success last year. But uh, we saw some fun stuff in camp last year. You had mentioned, you know, Keenan Allen, uh, you know, basically body slamming one of our players and really getting that rivalry going. So I, I think that's going to be a really exciting game. I'm, I'm, what I'm nervous for is a couple things. I think the chip on the shoulder of the Chargers, because they're not dumb. They know they're second fiddle right now to the Rams in L.A. They're getting a lot of, they're getting a lot of hate from their old fan base in San Diego, and they're getting a lot of hate from the Rams fan base here in L.A., basically saying, we don't want you here. You know, we didn't need two teams. Uh, so they're, they're getting it from both sides, they're, and I think they'll be able to rally uh, the team around that. I think you got the right guy in Anthony Lynn. Uh, you got a guy in Philip Rivers that can still sling the ball around. He also is a guy. Uh, when we were kind of, when we picked up Marcus Peters, I, I did love how Marcus Peters' highlight film was almost him picking off Philip Rivers. So that kind of made me feel better about that matchup. So we're hoping that he can still read him pretty well. Um, but you got an, uh, an awesome offense that's going to only continue to get better if Phillip Rivers can take care of the ball, and and you got the running game that's going to go. And then you mentioned it, some of the best you know players on defense. You got Bo- Bosa and, and Melvin Ingram on the line. You've added to your safety position with Derwin James. You got a couple lockdown corners going out there, uh, so the defense looks pretty good. I, I think that's something to be scared of. That team that has that chip on their shoulder that comes into that game thinking no one's giving us a chance, and so we're gonna go, you know, in in cliche fashion of shock the world, right? They're, they want to shock LA as coming into this stadium and you know get a big win on the road in their hometown. So uh, I think that I think that's gonna be a fun. Uh, you know, fan experience for everybody to see kind of how that stadium fills up and, you know, how the tailgates go and everything like that. So I am can't wait for that game. It's one that I have circled since the schedule came out for sure. Uh, real quick, just to throw it back on you guys, John, what's your thoughts on, on that game and, and what we can expect? Uh, is it week three? Is that when it is? 
Yes. Week, week three in LA. Yep. September 23rd. My worry is the Rams defensive line. I am really looking to see how we do against Aaron Donald and Adama Kinsu. That is a really, really rough thing that we tend to struggle against when we, someone has really good pass rushers. We tend to, I want to say struggle a little bit more with getting the running game going, which means the passing game can't get going as well. And we're playing against the former charger defensive coordinator, Wade Phillips, the 14 and two season Wade Phillips. And he knows how to blitz Phillip Rivers. He, he knows what he's doing most of the time. We played against the Texans a couple of years ago when they had him. Uh, we couldn't do anything. And we still won that game. It makes you wonder if we could win this game because we know Wade Phillips or if we can lose this game because Wade Phillips knows us. But it's been a while since Wade Phillips has been here. But we still have Phillip Rivers. And most teams know if you can attack the quarterback, you can win the game. Not so much the case when you play the Rams because it's, it's more about attacking Todd Gurley and you win the game. And we have a struggling run defense last year, so can our run defense hold up against Todd Gurley? I think that's going to be the main difference in winning the game, in my opinion. I think that's the number one thing you look at, and the number two thing you look at is how do we play against Aaron Donald and Adama Kinsu. Yeah, and I think specifically, John, with Donald and Sue is the Chargers have really struggled with interior pressure on the quarterback. I think we all know that Phillip Rivers isn't very fleet of foot. Even though I saw an NC State highlight video where he had like nine rushing touchdowns or something, it was, <laughs> I don't understand it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But that guy is long gone. And I, I think we all agree that the Chargers are going to win that game. So let's move along. Hey, Bear, I really want to just get your sense of how this season is going to go for you guys. Um, I think... You guys have a lot to be excited about. You have a lot of big names. You're in L.A., Hollywood, Bright Lights, all of that jazz. But I want to just know what you think the ceiling is for this defense that you guys have with all those Pro Bowl players, and then what you think the ceiling is on this team as a whole. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch these guys put it together. On paper, it seems amazing, right? It seems like we've got one of those top three defenses in the league. Uh, they got. They have to put it together. They got to perform. They've got you know one of the best coaches. You mentioned it, and Wade Phillips. I love hearing these guys talk about you know the freedom that Wade Phillips allows in the defense, and especially adding guys like Marcus Peters, who his number one thing is all about taking risks and being in a position to succeed. And and that's one of the things he said he loves most is I'm allowed to kind of you know take that risk because he puts people behind me to protect me and. Uh, you know, you got the veteran in Tlaib who knows the system, and then you throw up Sue with Donald if we can, you know, freaking pay the man finally, and we're going to get those two monsters up front. So the defense looks crazy scary. We talked about the offense and it being one of the best top-ranked offenses in the league last year, so expectation is to match that, right? To not take a big step back, not to go to the 10th best offense. Like, I think we need to still stay within the top five for you know Rams Nation to really you know believe in where they can go long term and I think as, as you're talking long term and the season goes um, sadly they've put a lot of expectations on themselves with all these moves and their performance last year in, in year one of McVay getting 11 wins and hosting a playoff game I think anything other than that is considered a bust year I think we've got to host another playoff game we've got to get at least 11 12 wins I think expectation is you know they're going to get 12 13 and have home playoff field advantage throughout 
you know, the whole thing until, you know, if we get a chance at the Super Bowl. Um, and that's the crazy thing is, you know, a couple years ago, we were just looking to get past eight and eight. And now here we are as a fan base going, you know, almost to the point of Super Bowl or bust. And I know the, there's no real bust if you, you know, you go a couple games into the playoffs and you make a good run. You know, I wouldn't call it a bust, but I know a lot of people out here in L.A. that would. So it's crazy, those expectations. And then really looking at the roster and believing that they're not just wild fandom, you know, guesses. It's kind of, you know, we won 11 games last year. We've added, you know, multiple, multiple players to the defense, which at points was our, our you know, our weak spot. And so... Uh, yeah, I think it's got to be uh, hosting a, a playoff game at home, uh, winning a playoff game at home, and everything else from there is really, you know, kind of bonus ball for us at this point. But I think everyone in L.A. is expecting, you know, a Super Bowl appearance, which is crazy to think. You know, and I think an all-L.A. Super Bowl sounds just fine to me. Uh, and I think uh, the Chargers fans here in national media – Let's put a lot of pressure on the Chargers to perform, but I feel like they have the pieces to contend. The only real problem in my mind is the run defense. If they find a way to solve that, this is a team that nobody in the NFL wants to see because they have everything that you're looking for. Tight end, or excuse me, wide receivers, a running back, a franchise quarterback, good edge defenders, uh, pass rushers and a good secondary. So one thing that we didn't touch on that obviously has to be fixed that cost the Chargers a couple of games last year with their special teams. The Chargers absolutely need to get better on special teams. Their kicking situation was atrocious. They had the worst field goal percentage in the NFL last year. They brought in Caleb Sturgis. They brought in the former second-round pick, Roberto Aguayo, to try and fight for that position. Um, But uh, we all expect that to be Caleb Sturgis. But if they get that figured out – and, you know, they fixed that run defense. Uh, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to uh, see the Rams and Chargers uh, a second time uh, next season. Yeah, and I'm still waiting for the NFL to have Roberto Aguayo on the NFL's top 100 players list. But I think I might wait a little while. <laughs> but I, it, I think you nailed it, David. I mean, the kicking game was really the – I mean, it cost them games. And, I mean, they're obviously missing a tight end. And I think really for Charger fans, it's kind of a, a weird thing because it's like, do you want the Chargers to win the Super Bowl in L.A.? Uh, I mean, I, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I guess I'll deal with that emotional roller coaster <laughs> if we ever get there. But I, I think for Charger fans, just making the playoffs and getting a playoff victory is the expectation. But the Chargers know all about having expectations and not reaching them. But having, you know, Caleb Sturgis there, when, I mean, we joke about Roberto Aguayo for good reason because he was a second-round pick that the Buccaneers traded up to get, which is still how is there not a 30-for-30 30 30 about Mind that? Mind-boggling. But, but I, I, and the, the funny thing about it is the Chargers kicking game as a whole was pretty much identical to what Roberto Aguayo did in his first year. And so bringing him in there is kind of some weird inception that I really haven't got my mind around yet. I think it's probably just so him and Geno Smith can hang out is really the only thing I could really possibly think of. But I think, Bear, for you guys, I think it is Super Bowl or bust. I mean, especially with all the one-year contracts that you guys have. I mean, Indomitian Sue's on a a one-year deal. Aaron Donald has the much-storied contract issues 
And I think when you have that many guys that you're not going to be able to sign for, you know, extended periods of time. I mean, it's hard to believe that they could get all those guys on a roster now, especially, you know, with the success they plan on having. I don't think they'll be able to keep all those guys around. So how do you balance that and how do you think it's going to play out? Because best case scenario, you guys win a Super Bowl and then does it just get blown up from there? You know, the great thing is, is we've got a got a hundred plus million dollars for next year's uh, free agent pool. And a lot of that's got to be spent on, you know, obviously you mentioned the big guys, uh, Jared Goff extension, Todd Gurley extension, Marcus Peters, um, you know, if we want to keep Sue. So there's going to be a lot of Brandon Cooks, another guy that needs to get some money. Obviously, we franchise tag Joiner at the safety position. So, you know, what are we going to do with him moving forward? So there's lots of people to play, but, uh, you know, to pay. But one thing I do love is, you know, we've been given Demoff, who, you know, who runs the team here financially, a lot of credit and less need, the GM, for how they've been able to work these contracts and save money for the future and really game plan. And I think that's one of the big reasons on why Aaron Donald hasn't gotten paid yet. Everyone's just like, give him whatever dollar amount. And I'm included in that conversation. But um, you know, he, they're looking towards the future and seeing what else is out there as far as, you know, who they can pay. And they're not just going to write some crazy, insane check and think that, you know, they can just get away with it and, you know, screw the future. They're really taking everything into consideration. So I think they're going to be able to continue to build this team. We may lose a guy like Sue or, you know, maybe someone offers Peters some crazy money and he didn't fit in well and he needs to go. Um, but I think for the most part, we're going to be able to lock down most of the majority pieces of this team and with Sean McVay at the helm and being as young as he is and as you know a genius minded offensively as he is you know um, I think he's going to be able to work with whatever we end up giving him and producing you know long-term success whether it's you know a bunch of playoff runs or a couple Super Bowls in five something years or whatever it may be but I think long term you know, if we do talk about Super Bowl bust, I don't think all the chips have to be in on this year as you look at the youth at some of the talent positions and our coach. I think that we can really look at a future plan as well. And for anyone who doesn't know, if you were to give me the option of having Aaron Donald or J.J. Watt from here on out, I'm going Aaron Donald 100 percent. It's one of the most underrated guys in the NFL. And you still hear about him. I mean, you still hear people saying how good he is. And he still somehow is in that weird underrated, you know, category. So just so everyone knows when he says, hey, you know, whatever dollar amount, give that to him. I mean, that guy is actually worth that type of money. He is a game wrecker. And I would love to have a guy like that on the Chargers. I think we have a guy like that in the making uh, by the name of Joey Bosa. But uh, he's got to have a couple more years of consistency to be on that same plane as Aaron Donald. But hey, I think I can speak for Daniel and for John Bear uh, when we say that we've had a great time on this uh, crossover podcast and uh, we wish the Rams uh, nothing but success except when they play the Chargers in this uh, upcoming season. Yeah, fair enough, gentlemen. I had a blast doing this as well. It's always good to get everyone, you know, this L.A. crossover and talk some rivalry uh, as we continue to build the fight for L.A., uh, if you may. So, guys, don't forget to give everyone on this podcast a follow, whether on uh, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, wherever it is. Uh, I'm at L.A. underscore Rambling Bear. You can find the show at Locked On Rams as well. Uh, we're on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you can find a podcast. Uh, both of us are there. So make sure to give us a follow. 
uh, reach out to us, give us a nice review, give us some thumbs up. We really appreciate it. And gentlemen, like you said, um, week three, we'll have to figure out. I'm always down for a nice, fun bet, head-to-head matchup, uh, maybe a hat or a jersey or whatever you want to do. Let me know. Uh, let's put something on it. Let's make it fun. And if anyone uh, makes it down to the stadium, maybe we can tailgate and have a good time together. But, boys, it's been a blast. I appreciate your time. Uh, absolutely. We're more than happy to do it. And maybe we'll link up again uh, uh, before that week three matchup. All right. Best of luck, boys, and we'll talk soon. Hey, Locked On listeners, you already love our network and NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fantasy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fantasy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.